Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Looked right into the eyes of this little creature. He was reading my whole life. Your life up to that point in seconds. I saw that. I don't give a goddamn what anybody else says about it. I saw that on film. Welcome to Weird Tales and the Unexplainable. My name's Laura, and... And this is Bob Shoy, and also there's Beef. Hello. And Tiss. Hello. And um, as you may have heard, Laura is hosting today. For us, we were going to put together an episode all about alien disclosure. um, And then we thought, you know, who better to actually do it than someone who already knows about all this stuff. So regular listeners uh, may recognise Laura's voice. She's appeared on a couple of our shows before. We call her up every now and then uh, for her to weigh in whenever we discuss alien topics. So she's going to host this episode. To start off, um, before I go into all of the information I've gathered here today, I would like to begin by saying that this is the information I find most compelling and true. There are, of course, going to be debunkers out there, and I think that that is good. I appreciate a healthy skepticism, as I am skeptical myself, but all I ask is that you aren't so skeptical to where you are close-minded. With all the plethora of information out there today with witnesses coming forward and whatnot, um, it would be hard for anyone not to admit to themselves that something is going on. So I encourage everyone to do their own research and come to their own conclusions and opinions. And I, of course, will provide links for all the information for the show today. And thanks again to Bob Beef and Tiss for letting me host a show. I feel so honored. And thanks again for all of you out there listening. And thank you, Laura, for doing it. Right, let's go. All right, so my first topic is uh, there was a citizen's hearing on disclosure that took place. It consisted of 40 researchers along with the military slash agency personnel and political persons of high rank. Uh, They came to the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. to testify before members of Congress, and together they provided documents, witness testimony, and their own personal experiences in regards to the proof of extraterrestrial contact and also... Um, They went into energy sources that would allow for us to be off of coal, oil, or anything that isn't renewable. The citizens hearing lasted 30 hours over five days. There is a video available online that documents all of the witness testimonies. Some of the witnesses included uh, Dr. Stephen Greer, who did the serious 
disclosure documentary. Uh, the former Prime Minister of Canada, Paul Hellyer, and Stanton Friedman, a retired nuclear physicist, just to name a couple. You know what's um, really interesting about the hearings and stuff is that they're all like really credible sources, and that you know interests me more. Yeah, yeah, it's like members of the military. It's not your sort of average Joe or. Yeah, it's it's people who you would listen to, people who when they come up in the news or something, you um like, yeah, you Yeah, listen if they're to them. stepping up and saying this stuff, you're sort of like, Oh, hang on a minute, and you want to take note of it? Yeah. I'm going to play the, uh Stan Friedman's opening statement at the citizens hearing for you right now, just to give you an idea of what the citizens hearing pretty much consisted of. Okay, great. Thank you for inviting me here. As a retired nuclear physicist who has been studying the evidence about UFOs since 1958 and since 1967 has given well over 700 lectures in all 50 states, 10 Canadian provinces and 18 other countries, I've reached four major conclusions. One, the evidence is overwhelming that Earth is being visited by intelligently controlled extraterrestrial spacecraft. In other words, some underlined ten times. Some UFOs are alien spacecraft. Most are not. Don't care about them. Two, there is no doubt that a small number of people within governments, both in the United States and overseas, have been actively covering up the truth about these visits. There really is a cosmic Watergate. Three, there are no good arguments against these conclusions. Only people who haven't studied the relevant evidence. And four, Flying saucer visitations and the cosmic Watergate represent the biggest story of the millennium. And I should say that I prefer the term flying saucer because all flying saucers are UFOs. Very few UFOs are flying saucers. All great-grandfathers are men. Not all men are great-grandfathers. I'm interested in the flying saucers, not the UFOs. The basis for these conclusions... A, there are at least five large-scale scientific studies which provide substantial evidence. These include Project Blue Book Special Report Number 14, the largest study ever done for the United States Air Force, covering more than 3,200 cases with more than 200 charts, tables, graphs, and maps. It is quality evaluation, cross-comparison between unknowns and knowns. The official press release lied about the data. I'll document that in a minute. It is almost never referenced by UFO debunkers. Dr. Carl Sagan, we were classmates at the University of Chicago, claimed there are interesting UFO sightings that are not reliable and reliable UFO sightings that are not interesting. But there are no cases that are both reliable and interesting. This statement was not backed up by reference to data, but is directly contradicted by the Blue Book Special Report 14 data, it was found that the more reliable the case, the more likely to be unexplainable. United States Air Force Secretary Donald Quarles, in the very widely distributed press release when the 1955 study was completed, flat out lied. It's a strong statement, and I'm sorry to make it, but it's true. He stated, quote, we believe that no objects such as those properly described as flying saucers have overflown the United States. Even the unknown 3% could have been identified as conventional phenomena or illusions if more complete observational data had been available. 
The fact of the matter in the report that he was talking about is that the unknowns comprise 21.5% of the cases completely separate from the 9.3% listed as insufficient information. The 3% number was a lie. Furthermore, a statistical comparison of the unknowns and knowns showed that the probability that the unknowns were just misknowns was less than 1%. It must further be noted that the press release did not give the title of the report or the company that did the work, Battelle Memorial Institute. If they'd given the title, surely some newsman would have said, hey, what happened to reports 1 through 13? Had never heard about them. The correct answer, had it been given, would have been that they were all classified. All right, so now that you've heard that, what are your guys' take on that? You can really get his frustration, can't you? Yeah. Like, it's obvious that, you know, here's someone who's done this research for decades and, and put lots of thought into what he's saying, and no one's listening. And all the, all the, all the hearings, the clips from the hearings, I've heard actually a few other ones as well, um, and like Laura said, they're all available online, and there is that real sense of frustration mm. where people aren't, aren't listening. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's like if like like when you're a child and you're trying to talk to like your parents are trying to get them to understand something, but mm. they just brush you off. Um, yeah. And it, it made me think of the video that you showed a few weeks ago of Cameron. Oh, um, on the weird news episode. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy is trying to get him to talk about it seriously, and Cameron just sort of jokes about it, sort of leans on his things like, oh, "Well, yes, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that." And it's classic, like laughed off, and it's like all they're trying to say is, you know, can we actually talk about this because it's a serious subject to some people, yeah, um, to a lot of people, mm. but it just feels like whenever it's brought up. It's laughed off. It's like we're ever going to get a chance to talk about yeah. it seriously. Just like the Hillary clip we played as well. Oh yeah, they talked a little bit about it, but it was really like jokerly done. Yeah, which makes it more um, sort of like more suspicious, more suspect. Because if they just admitted to stuff, that'd be better. It's a subject of ridicule. Like if if someone in their profession was to seriously investigate this phenomena, it's unfortunate that they would be ridiculed. I mean, that's that's the go-to. The media ridicules it or makes fun. Exactly. Uh, their peers would sneer and snicker at them, and it, it's something that people don't want to deal with. You know, they have they have a livelihood to keep up. You know, you still have to work and make money and have a career. You know, and Dr. Stephen Greer, he was a, he used to be an actual medical doctor. And he just gave all that up and was like, I need to do this full time. And that's what he's been doing. It feels like whenever it's brought up to anyone sort of in power, they automatically turn the subject into a joke so that they don't have to um, put attention on themselves by talking about it in a serious light. Right, and to touch base on that, actually, I, I do have an opinion on that. Um, like, Dr. Stephen Greer has actually briefed President Bill Clinton and the director of the CIA at the time, mm. and neither of them are aware that this exists. It is, it's a government within a government, you know, undercover secret thing. I mean, even the president isn't briefed on it. He briefed the general or the the director of the Joint Chief of Staff, right. the general of the Joint Chief, however you want to name it. You know, he sat down with Dr. Stephen Greer, and he's like, I don't, I'm not aware of any of this. And while Dr. Stephen Greer was there, according to Dr. Stephen Greer, you know, he called one of the people that, I guess, Dr. Greer was told that is involved with this 
type of undercover stuff and he was like I want to and the general said I want to know about this project or and I want information you know I'm the general of defense I have a right to know and they're like you don't have a need to know and we're not going to tell you Mm. is basically what he was told over the phone and the director of the CIA came in to say you know I have no information on this I no one's ever briefed me on it so a lot of the upper people that you think in government would have an idea or know about it don't no it's actually a government within a government according to what dr Stevenger has said and some of the other witness testimony as well no i can definitely believe that it's very much the people that involved need to know and it's up to them who else knows yeah and and there's a lot of other speculation as far as like why they you know keep it from the public i mean one of the opinions is that they want to be able to weaponize space and in order to justify it uh we need to have a negative outlook on extraterrestrials and that they might come here to attack or mine our planet so to speak Mm. for resources and according to dr stephen gurr none of the extraterrestrials want to do that they just want to make sure that we you know, save ourselves and our planet, essentially. But the military-industrial complex, as they call it, want to be able to militarize space with weapons, and the way that they might be able to do that is to scare us into thinking that extraterrestrials are here to, you know, wreak havoc. Mm. And I don't believe that's the case. If they wanted to, they could have a long time ago. If they have the technology to get here, they have the technology to poof us away. (laughs) Yeah, there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah, I keep thinking about how frustrating it must be for these people. That like these are really credible people who have been studying this for decades. I know I just said it, but I just can't help but think about how frustrating that would be to just have your work that you've put so much effort into. Yeah. You've put so much time thinking about this stuff, and so many people as well. So many people coming forward, and it's the same thing. Like no one's taking this seriously, and yeah, yeah, very frustrating. Yeah. Why would these people, I mean, and they're significant people. They're not just your run-of-the-mill citizens. They're, they were in the military, mm. you know, they were employed with, um, you know, the government agencies, you know, the astronauts, you know. It, it just seems to ring true to me. I mean, otherwise it's the biggest hoax ever, really. These are people that you feel like you should be paying attention to. And it's amazing that not more people are paying attention to them. Yeah. Um, So for the second topic, um, I'm going to go over Dr. Stephen Greer. I know we've touched based on him a little bit in the past, but to delve deeper into it, Dr. Stephen Greer has been at the forefront for disclosure of extraterrestrial visitation and cover-up. As I said previously, he has a documentary out there called Sirius that is available on YouTube, Netflix, and at their website, SiriusDisclosure.com. I personally love this documentary. I actually bought the DVD when it came out. There are some controversial parts about it, more specifically the training of, you know, human-initiated contact with extraterrestrial through remote viewing and things like that. Um, It seems to work on their documentaries because Dr. Stephen Greer takes people out on expeditions and you can go on one if you want to sign up for it. Costs some money, but you are, it's available to you. Um, And they record all of the phenomena that happens so and it goes over the it has people that have used the methods claiming that it works but even i you know remain skeptical about that uh but feel free to check it out for yourself there are apps out there that you can download on your smartphone that provide 
tools and information on how to educate yourself and do it yourself. And if you have any success, I would be very interested in knowing. So anyway, the most significant thing about Dr. Greer that he has done in his career is the Disclosure Project back in 2001. There is a website with a huge amount of information out there that I used as well, so please be sure to check that out at disclosureproject.org. The Disclosure Project consists of 500 plus witnesses coming forward with their eyewitness testimonies to what they have seen, been a part of. They brought forth documents backing their accounts from military, government, employees, former astronauts, uh, agencies like the NSA, CIA, and so on. Um, and before I delve into this portion, I would like for you to consider that that all of these people have come forward, and even if only 1% of them were telling the truth, that would be enough to warrant a serious investigation into this phenomena. But my thoughts on it are, you know, that they weren't paid, there's nothing to gain from coming forward, and they are risking their reputations as credible in their field. And my question is, you know, why would they risk it if it wasn't for a bigger reason or if they truly didn't experience something? So I just throw that out there for something, you know, to ponder about or think about. There are, like I said, several witness testimonies, uh, but some of the most, what I find profound witness testimony, came from these next few. The first is Donna Hare. Her witness testimony is, uh, uh, her video is on there as well. She's a former NASA employee who recounts her time at NASA, and she was shown photographs that NASA had taken via their satellites and... Um, like the Hubble telescope with UFOs in them. And according to Donna, uh, the objects in the photos were airbrushed or removed before being shown or released to the public. There was an actual part of NASA that was in charge of reviewing photos and airbrushing or removing anything that would suggest extraterrestrial activity before being released to the public. And, you know, she kind of goes over how that surprised her and how no one would really, you know, go into much more information than that. But the other testimony I find intriguing is the Sergeant Clifford Stone testimony. And his testimony, he goes over his accounts in a research unit below the Pentagon, where he actually had a brief interaction with an ET terrestrial. And he goes over the description of that particular ET being, and he also goes over his accounts there under the Pentagon and what he also saw in regards to other species of ETs and vehicles that they, the Pentagon, they being whoever covers it up, is aware of. This video is about an hour long, but I'll play a small clip just to give you an idea of what he goes over in his video. We went down. I don't know how far down we went. Uh, I can't tell you if there's one... Uh, one flight under the Pentagon, two or 50. But we went down. When we went down to, I don't know, several seconds in, in the elevator, we get out. When we get out, there's just like the white walls, and it's like an inverted D, like a flat bottom with a curved top. Now, there's two monorails there. I mean, they're rails. They look like big tubes, rather thick in the center, and two on the side. One on each side. I could probably draw you a better picture of it when I'm describing it. But you had these little uh, monorails, what I, what I call them, uh, cars that look 
like a bullet. I mean, for lack of a better term, you could you had uh, where you could see two people in front, two people in back. We got on the one monorail and started to go. And it seemed like maybe 20 minutes, but I'm guessing at that because I don't know for sure. When we got out, he says, well, let me show you some interesting sights down this corridor here. So we're going down the corridor, and it looked like there was a door at the far end of that corridor. As we got closer and closer to that door, my guide turned to me and stated, you know, things aren't always as they seem to be. He says, like, a lot of people don't know about these underground locations underneath the Pentagon. Few know that the Pentagon has underground monorails that connect up to other locations. And he says, it's just like, you know, the walls here. They don't all seem like walls. And I said, what, what do you mean? They don't, uh, they're not walls? I said, what are you talking about? I thought, I thought you were always trying to make a joke. Uh, at that time, he says, no. He says, like the wall behind you. I look, it looks like a wall to me. There's no seams, nothing I can see. Then he pushes me. I try to grab myself, and you don't just go through it. The do there's actually a door there that open. You want me to finish this too, don't you? Well, when you go through the door, there's like a field table there. And behind the field table, you had this little entity. The entity was a little bigger than the three, three and a half foot uh, tall entities that are a lot of times reported. But there were two men on either side of the table, slightly behind the creature, but yet I got up and I was asking him why he was acting foolish and things of this sort. I uh, won't go in how we were hitting up on that. But when I turned around, I uh, looked right into the eyes of this little creature. And, uh, you know, it's like, uh, uh, you're seeing it, but everything's being pulled from your mind, pains you felt, you feel that, and it's like a buzzsaw going off on your head. Uh, he was reading my whole life. And I mean, you know, it's hard to describe what, what you really felt there. I, your life up to that point in seconds and I mean you were feeling everything uh, went ahead I remember going down and grabbing a hold of my head like this and falling to the floor next thing I remember I wake up and I'm back in Jack's office and uh, when I'm in back in Jack's office they told me nothing happened that I'd been there the whole day but I knew better there is an interaction between entities and certain uh, government agencies within the U.S. government. I will not go so far to uh, state that they are giving us technologies to kill ourselves. Uh, they are not along that line. Their purposes of being here are for scientific purposes and for humanitarian purposes. Abductions, those abductions which I believe to be real, have nothing to do with the uh, scary scenario abductions that people hit up with. There's a reason for it. We have been very foolish in how we have done certain things, and we have harmed ourselves.
we now realize that we have harmed ourselves and we are trying to take corrective action. And that right there is the one thing that they're checking on. There's been the vile sphere that's been damaged. They're not coming here to repair that. They are coming here to see how we handle it. But a government can't be the one that shoulders all the responsibility and shoulders all the knowledge and all the understanding. The whole situation is, is that we have to work in unison as a people, a united people. Let's go ahead and start preparing ourselves to where we ultimately will take that giant step to where we're going to be visiting other planets out there in other solar systems. And we have to, once again, I'll use the word, grow spiritually as a group of people. The people representing mankind on planet Earth. Yes, there is some type, and I don't know to what extent, but there is uh, some type of dialogue that is taking place between our visitors of all species, because there's more than one, and the various governments of not just the U.S. government, but of the world's. Primarily, the fully developed are the, how do I put this, the more developed nations of the world. Because at present, spacefaring nations represent the greatest threat to them as a peaceable coexistence. So I went ahead, took the little snack lunch that I had with me, took it upstairs. Uh, we were looking down, we were seeing the briefing room, and it had like a plexiglass that separated the balcony and uh, what was going on downstairs, and you couldn't hear what was being said. But we started to notice that they were running the film, and the film showed uh, various types of what we would call UFOs today, and showed various types of uh, alien creatures, i.e. Uh, your greys, uh, some covered with a whole lot of hair, some that looked very much like us, uh, some that looked like us with marked differences. Wow, so what do we think to that clip? Uh, I like. I was thinking about the the Pentagon to begin with. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's mental. Like, I kind of would have guessed. Yeah. It's quite obvious that there's going to be. I would expect there to be underground areas um, for government officials to escape to, but not. I mean, monorails is a bit monorail. Monorail. <laughs> monorail. <laughs> it's um it's like you do expect it and you don't. It's like um an evil layer. It's like Doctor Evil's layer, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Welcome um, to my underground layer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting when he said about passing out. Mm. What I was thinking of, do you think that is the alien making him pass out? Or him naturally passing out just because of like the rush of knowledge, it was all too much for him. Or like the government officials put him under. I don't know, it's, it's difficult to explain because he sounded as if um very sort of intelligent, you know, personally, someone who's very sure of himself and I suppose, I don't know, it's hard to say without being in his shoes, isn't it? I would, I would like to think, I don't know, maybe the alien was really powerful and this being, sorry, was really powerful. I don't know. And when he came to, it was like they said to him that he imagined it. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that he came to and they tried to, they immediately tried to get him to yeah, not like, think about it anymore. Don't show him in the first place then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe they're just testing him. Yeah. Or maybe it was then that he was too maybe I don't know, maybe this power is like this being only gives it off to select people and mm. they weren't too sure if they were gonna 
he was going to kind of succumb to that. But taking this guy's word for it, say all that he says was true, mm. and all that stuff is going on. Yeah. Would you want to know? Would you want to know it was true? Well, would I want to know if aliens were real? Hmm. And, yeah. that, and that they've been around and that they're like underneath the pentagon. Yeah, definitely, so. definitely. And I wouldn't even be angry about it if if the government said, oh yeah, we've known about it for decades, like 50 years we've known about this. And I wouldn't be angry, it'd just be like, oh, finally. And like, you could handle awesome. it. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd like to think so. Like not, it depends how much knowledge they want to tell me. Yeah. If it's like, what I'd want to do is for it to wake up and for it to be like on my news feed. Right, it's number four trending yeah. topic on Twitter. Behind Kim Kardashian's boobs. Yeah. Uh, and I'd want it to be like, aliens are real. Right. But that's it. Like, hashtag aliens exist. Hashtag aliens exist. And then for like, whoa, I wouldn't want everything. I wouldn't want it to be like, oh, a couple of times they've tried to attack would you, us. Would you still go into work that day? You wake up and see that trending on Twitter. It would shake you to your core. I'd have to ring in and be like, I am not coming to school today. School? <laughs> yeah, I work at a school, don't I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I am not, I am not coming. Like, I'd have to bring in and be like, surely this, we're not, this is ridiculous. I feel like everyone would stop. Mm. don't know. Would you want to notice? Probably not. You wouldn't want to know if aliens are real? No. Really? I couldn't really take the information at the minute. That's Too what much. I mean, even if they like gave it to you in small doses. No. No? All right. You don't like drip fed to you in parts. Yeah, I'd like want one it. One day, yeah. aliens exist, but you, you, you don't want a picture on the first day. Or do you? Because I feel that's the first thing. What do they look like? Can't you I wouldn't a want a picture. Really? I'd want. I'd literally. I just want to just to have like a really quick video. Let's just say Theresa May. Just mm. like we've had this information. We've been talking with the Americans and the Russians. Get your and this is this. this is what we know. Yeah. And then for the whole world to just be discussing it, and then maybe I wouldn't want a picture immediately because I'd be like, oh, not another picture. Oh, I don't know. I feel like you got to have the picture. What, picture they, what make picture it... they put on the headline? Yeah, but what if, they make, what if it was the um, alien autopsy picture? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, the tent picture. Yeah. Like, uh... So the, the way the guy found out, like, just being led down there on a monorail. <laughs> and yeah. then opening the door. And uh, the alien just being like, oh, yeah. Is, is that how you'd want to find out? No. Um, d- yeah, I don't know. I take it no, because you literally just said you want it drip fed to you. Yeah, no, That's I wouldn't want... That'd be too much, yeah. I'd want uh, maybe, like, a year later to be like, you've won a trip to the Pentagon. Um, <laughs> I don't think they do that. <laughs> um, no, they wouldn't do it. But And then be like, oh, whilst you're here, you may as well come and meet this alien we've got in the basement. Mm. I think for a start, I'd be like, you've got a monorail under here. That's mental. I think I'd be more upset about it that. Just feel, it's weird that you got people like this. Credible. Sergeant. Stone. Yeah, yeah. Saying stuff like this, um, and no one listens to him. No. Oh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're not going to truly know, you know, for ourselves unless, you know, until it happens, you know, until they come forward or the government says, yep, it's real. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, at, at this point, unfortunately, it's just speculation and, you know, the, a handful of people's, you know, swearing that this is true. Mm. Um I would like to see it happen during my lifetime. Um, how it will affect the world, I don't know. I know that it plays a lot with how it will affect people religion-wise. Uh, but my thought on that is, you know, if you were are religious, why, why would only one race be a conglomerate of, you know, the entirety of 
creation. It was interesting um, when we recorded um, Angelic Visitations. There was a little bit in that where it was astronauts who were religious and who had seen things and they put it down to seeing angels in space and we were sort of speculating whether, you know, some people could say they were angels and some people could say they were aliens and stuff and the way they described it was really similar to some of the witnesses who had said they'd seen aliens in space. That is interesting. I mean, I'm sure that in the entirety of everything, there's blurred lines and gray areas and where some of it meet with each other in the middle. Some parts, you know, think of a Venn diagram, I, I suppose you could. Yeah, it's like one, mean, one person might call it one thing, one person might call it another, but, you know, there's there might be something out there. Right. It's like people, no matter how many people say it's real, no one believes it until the government actually says it's real. But, yeah... But who to you, who to you is like the most credible, who would you listen to the most, like you individually, um, you and you and Tiss, who would you listen to and like really take note and like, wow, this is serious. Well, like a person. Yeah. Like yeah. If they came out and said aliens are real, because so many people say it, who would it take to say that aliens are real for you to be like, like oh, they're actually real? Because I'd imagine for you to... Because we've got like military wouldn't... officials saying it and astronauts saying it and people are still like, nah. I'd imagine it wouldn't for you guys. I don't, I don't know. Go on, tell me. I don't... There's not a one person... It wouldn't be a government. Everyone that I like says that aliens are real already. Mm. Mm. So it's like, what does it take? That's a good question. And so, and you're still not like 100%. Well, no, with anything like that, it gets to a certain point and then I have to see it for myself or I don't... That's no, why I'm saying I need a picture. Yeah, there's no one person that could... I wouldn't want a picture, I'd want to see it. What if What if it happened exactly as I said it? So, tomorrow morning... I don't want to hear about Theresa May again. Um, <laughs> it's on Twitter, no, it's trending on Twitter. It's trending on Twitter. Hashtag aliens exist. Oh, it's too much. David Icke. It's too much. I've had enough. Just, world, slow down. Right, okay. When I was at school, there was nothing going on. Yeah, but we there have was, access but you to the whole world to now. I know. All the time. And it is too much. Yeah, but also, when we were at school, we, we I wasn't thinking about this. That's what I mean. Take me back. The other witness testimonies that I want to bring to light are the witness testimonies from former astronauts Gordon Cooper and Edgar Mitchell. They both go over their accounts in space before, during, and after. They both claim that they have seen and been privy to, you know, extraterrestrial vehicles flying by while they are in space. They also say that when they went to the moon, that there were ETs there, you know, kind of perturbed at the fact that they were there at the moon and kind of wondering, you know, what they were doing there. Not that they, like, came out of their spaceships and said anything, but... They got the feeling, the astronauts there got the feeling that the extraterrestrials weren't keen on them being there at the moon. They didn't do anything to them. They just kind of hovered around and kept an eye on what they were doing, basically. Very intriguing testimonies, and I feel it has some credence, being that they're former astronauts, you know, because they've been out there and according to them, have seen things that none of us would be able to without being astronauts. So those links I'll provide as well to their witness testimonies because um, they are they were, and Gordon Cooper, the astronaut Gordon Cooper was has been alongside Dr. Stephen Greer the entire process of the Disclosure Project and backs Dr. Stephen Greer 100% on the disclosure of extraterrestrials and the energy sources that we have available to us. And um, the links to those testimonies I will put straight on the blog as well. So these astronauts, this um, Cooper and Mitchell, 
We did a thing on one of our episodes, well, on Tissa's episode, we talked about Buzz Aldrin seeing them as well, didn't we? Yeah, he did, yeah. <laughs> and they basically told him to shove off. Yeah. Naff off, mate. Yeah. Okay, so where were we? Uh, we just started talking about Sirius, Sirius, right? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the the film Sirius. Uh, have you guys gotten a chance to watch that at all? I haven't seen it. Tish, did you say you seen the whole of Sirius or just? No, I watched like bits. I couldn't get my way through it. So Tish has seen some of it, bits of it, and me and B haven't seen it. It was like the most crowdfunded documentary. Basically, Dr. Stephen Greer did that film, and it it includes some of the witnesses from the Disclosure Project. And he goes into, I mean, he, he talks to other military and, and former agency employees as well. Um, just to touch base on that, in there, somewhere in Peru, they found this humanoid called the Atacama humanoid. They did DNA testing on it, and um, they had a bone specialist who specialized in deformities and skeletons and things like that, take a look at it. And, I mean, this being is six inches tall, Mm. and according to his findings, um, you know, based on cartilage and and other things, it was six to eight years old. And Mm. the being was carbon dated to be like a thousand maybe years old. So basically it was concluded that it wasn't a fetus and that the being had lived to be between six to eight years old. That's gone over in the documentary as well. And when they did their DNA testing, it came back as it shared 91% of our DNA and the other, yeah, the other 9% is unknown. And just to put that into perspective, chimpanzees share about 98% of our DNA. And, um, wow. where, where, sorry, where was this found? Peru. In Peru. Peru, right, yeah. Hey, this is Bob Shoy. I'm just jumping in, uh, because after we recorded this, uh, Laura emailed me to make sure I corrected this on the show. The, um, Atacama humanoid was actually found in Chile, not Peru. So there you go. Are there images of it online? Yes. There are. Yep. Uh, what's um? Can I? I might quickly get some images up if that's all right. Laura. Yeah, no, go for it. So what Carry. would I? What would I search for? Just Peru humanoid. Oh, I've got Atacama skeleton. Whoa! You got it? Yeah, this. Looks, I'm just gonna come around and have a look. Oh right, okay. Wow, well, that's um. And did you, Laura? Did you say it was perhaps a thousand years old or something? Yeah, I'm not sure if the documentary goes into how old it is. But it said that, like, um, whether it was 100 to 1,000 years old, that medical treatment for a fetus, if it were a fetus, would not have been available back then for it to live, you know, six to eight years. Wow. So that's that's one of the parts of the film that Dr. Stephen Greer goes into as well. And he has all these specialists from Stanton, I think it was Stanton University, but they did the DNA testing and they had the DNA sent to several different facilities for testing and when it came back the reason the press didn't get involved was because they're because the findings were that it was 91 percent you know that 91 percent of its dna was comparable to human dna and they're like oh it's just human well no um i mean because if you look at you know chimpanzees mm, we don't yeah. consider them human and they share 98 percent of our dna you know so it's just it's interesting. Yeah, like, DNA like, doesn't necessarily mean yeah. you're going to look and be like a human. 1% in terms of DNA is a big deal. Right. Yeah. Wow. So that other 9% is unknown. 
like we we don't know what that other nine percent is essentially mm. so what do you guys think about that picture um yeah i don't know why because you described the picture pretty well laura but I, it, it kind of surprised me a bit mm. it's way you know when you stretch a picture and yeah. it just looks out of proportion yeah it, it's way thinner and like longer than I was. But it's only like thinking. six but inches. But it's only long six or inches. Yeah. yeah, so it must be really thin and delicate. Yeah. But then if it's six to eight years old, then yeah, it's crazy, really crazy. And apparently, there's another one just like it somewhere over in Russia, but they haven't been able to get to it. Tis, what did you think of the picture? It looks very strange. It does. <laughs> that's, that's that's your analysis. It's like a bug. I I would say though, when I think of an alien, that's what I th- that with skin is yeah. what I think of. But it's pretty small. Even if it's um, say it's eight years old or whatever, it's still really small. Yeah. So they're like micro aliens. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've just found some pictures of this. I just typed in the like a Russian humanoid thing. And yeah. It's, it's quite similar. Is that... Um, I don't know if it's the one that Laura's talking about, but... It's like this one. Oh, okay. That one. It's quite similar, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry, I'm just leaning across. What were your thoughts then, Bob? Um, like you say, the proportions are strange. Obviously, it's if it's an alien, I'm not going to look at it and be like, oh, okay, that looks normal. I'm going to look at it and be like, that looks strange. Yes. Yeah. Possibly an alien. Um, I don't know. Like, whenever I see a picture of a possible alien, mm. instantly I'm like, nah, because in your head you're like, it's, it can't be. Because mm. um, you haven't seen one. Exactly. So I'm. who am I to say what is and what isn't? Mm. I have no reference to what is. So everything doesn't look right to me because it wouldn't look right. So I don't know if that's a for or against. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, of course it doesn't look right because it wouldn't. Yeah. What is right? I do, do you know what I mean? I feel like I'm rambling, but do you know what I'm trying to say? No, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah. It's not anything you've seen before, so you have nothing to compare it to. Exactly, exactly. But to brush it off, though, and for people to say, oh, it's 91% human, though. Like, well, it's not human, otherwise it would be 100% human. Yeah. So, that's interesting. It doesn't matter whether it's 2% human or 99% human, they're still so different. Yeah. Let's check it out. So the the film Sirius um, goes and delves deeper into that humanoid, and like I said, they did all kinds of DNA testing on it and had you know respectable researchers come forward. Now now the guy that that specializes in bone deformities, you know, wasn't going to say it was of extraterrestrial descent, but he, one of the other key factors that he noted was that the alien only had ten ribs, mm. and humans you know have 12 and this is the only case he'd ever seen where there was only 10 ribs ever documented interesting that a lot of aliens that show up are still like humanoid isn't it yeah like in terms of i know it's 10 ribs 12 ribs whatever but bone structure in in general is a lot very similar yeah yeah i i just um but then i'm trying to picture buzz and the gang not from Toy Story. No. From uh, On the Moon. The astronaut, yeah. D- picturing that and seeing these aliens that were a little bit mugged off that they're on the moon. They're like, what are you right. doing here? And I can imagine if it was something very different, 
it would sh- it would shock you and probably scare you, wouldn't it? Right. Like when you see like a new species of animal, at first you're like, "Whoa, that's really strange," and then mm-hmm. so I, I I don't know. A lot of the people that come out um, in the hearings and stuff and the disclosure, mm-hmm. a lot of what they explain as of what they've seen of aliens is humanoid. Yeah. Does do you think that makes their story more or less credible? Are you expecting an alien to be humanoid? Uh, I guess if it was if it wasn't humanoid, I would probably think it's less credible. Really? Um, just because I see, I don't, I don't know. And this isn't this isn't my skepticism. This is more I would expect someone to because you could create um, anything. Like if you wanted to, you could sit. If I was to say. Right, we've all got five minutes. Let's draw an alien, mm. but you're not allowed to draw the humanoid thing we always see. We just have complete freedom to create something that's not a human. You could put anything together, but I think because it is a little bit different, it's just people. I think it's more credibility because it's people saying, "This is this is alien. This is definitely alien, but it's not quite. It's not quite right." And it, I don't know. I think that makes it more mm. believable because we talked on other shows where. Tis was saying, you know, an alien could be, you know, sentient gas and all this, like, really <laughs> out there ideas. Right. Yeah. But you, you, a lot of the, um, like like I say, a lot of the stuff involving alien disclosure, they never say, you know, it was basically a pile of mud that was talking to me or whatever. Yeah. It's always very humanoid. I don't know what I'm trying to say with that. It's just something I noticed. No, but it is something worth thinking about. It's worth thinking about why it is never like anything that we see on, I, I don't know, just that, that we can imagine about. Uh, I don't know. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> I haven't really thought well, about it. What I kind of think of is, you know, the universe, I'll share, you know, certain elements, like, you know what I mean? Like hydrogen. You know, helium, mm. la-di-da. Um, essentially, anything in the universe is going to have comparable makeup. Yeah, similar features so, that we all need, yeah. And for intelligent beings, a lot of them are bipedal, meaning they walk on two legs, yeah, yeah. have two arms, have two eyes, you know, what have you. And I think that's what a lot of people, you know, see when they say that they've seen extraterrestrials is that they're they're bipedal and humanoid, you know, human, not that they look like us, although according to Sergeant Clifford, you know, some of them do look like us, but different type, you know, so something to think about, I guess. It's like what we said about the Nordic aliens, didn't we? Mm. Do you remember? They just, they, the people we said about them just said they look like us, really. Yeah. And you wouldn't even know. No, you'd have no idea. Right. Now, there's one more clip in regards to witness testimony that I wanted to play. Mm-hmm. And his name is, well, he's, his name is Professor Robert Jacobs. What he did was missile testing. And the clip I'm going to play for you, he's already explained that he was, that they videotaped a missile testing with, you know, a telescope, obviously, because you can't see it with the naked eye or a regular camera. And that they had recorded this film and sent it, you know, over, you know, the different stages of the missile, parts falling apart in midair and and going on, whatever. So regular missile testing, and he's been called in after he, after they submitted the film of the missile testing, just like regular procedure. And at this point, he's just kind of explaining, you know, that 
there were two other people in the room that in civilian clothing that was kind of unusual and they're going to play the video back to him and show him what they saw so i'm going to play that for you guys real quick okay cool watch a second stage burnout we watch a third stage burnout and into the frame came something else it flew into the frame like this and it shot a beam of light at the warhead which is represented by my thumb here now remember all this stuff is flying at several thousand miles an hour so this thing fires a beam of light at the warhead hits it and then this thing flies up like this meanwhile we're all going like this fires another beam of light goes around like this we're going like this fires another beam of light goes down like this fires another beam of light and then flies out the way it came in and the warhead tumbles out of the outer space now i saw that i don't give a goddamn what anybody else says about it i saw that on film phil class can kiss my ass he wasn't there i was now when the lights came on major mansman turned around and looked at me and said were you guys screwing around up there and i said no sir and he said what was that and i said it looks to me like we got a ufo now the thing that we saw this object that flew in was circular was shaped like a two saucers cupped like this with a ping pong ball on top the beam of light came out of the ping pong ball that's what i saw on film now major mansman said to me after some discussion about it and uh, he said you are never to speak of this again as far as you're concerned this never happened and i said well and he said i don't need to, to emphasize the, the the dire consequences of a security breach do i and i said no sir and he said fine this never happened so i started for the door he said wait a minute he said years from now if you're ever forced by someone to talk about this you are to tell them it was laser strikes laser tracking strikes well, in 1964, we didn't have any laser tracking strikes. We didn't have any laser tracking at all. Lasers were in, in their infancy in 1964. They were little playthings in laboratories. So I said yes, sir, and walked out, and that was the last I talked about it for 18 years. I didn't talk about it to anybody at Vandenberg Air Force Base. Nobody in my squadron knew about it. Nobody saw the film but me. My commanding officer, Major Lewis S. Clement Jr., didn't see it. My operations officer, Captain Kenneth R. Callahan, didn't see it. His assistant, Lieutenant Ronald O. Baylor, didn't see it. Their uh, assistant, Chief Warrant Officer Guy M. Spooner, didn't see it. Nobody in my squadron saw it, and I didn't talk about it to anybody under direct orders from Major Florence J. Mansman, Jr. Consequently, no one at Vandenberg that I know of knows anything about this. So what do you guys think about that? Um, it was interesting how, at the beginning, he was so um, sure... Uh, it's hard to think of the word. I mean, like, he's, like, frustrated, do you know what I mean? Like, mm. he like I know what I saw, and I like that when you get that in the clip, because it, it feels very real and emotion. Yeah, yeah. What strikes me is that when people talk about this, when they've seen something, there always seems to be someone else there trying straight away to get the cover-up in there. Mm. Like, like, these cover-up people are everywhere. Yeah. You know, like, you didn't see a, you didn't see a thing. Yeah. Straight away, someone saying to him what he did or didn't say. Yeah, I was I was thinking um, when he was talking, I was thinking about. Uh, do you remember when I was talking about? We're going back about a year now, and I was talking about Mozambique, and I was thinking about this this demonic presence that I'd seen in right. this person. Right. Right. And I was thinking about how I know I saw that. Um, and so I could I understand his emotion because when I tell other people about that, it sounds mental. Mm. That sounds mental. 
but I have to listen to him because I wasn't there, and and I understand his frustration because there are some people that just won't have it. Um, as for his officer, he's definitely seen of and heard that before mm. because he was very much like when when he was explaining to him what he'd seen, he was just very blasé. It was yeah. very much just a case of oh yeah, oh okay. Yeah, you didn't see that. If yeah. anyone asked you, you didn't see that. It's too calm. If, it, if yeah, it's, it's the first time you've seen much. seen something like if that. If it was the first time, he would have gone, explain it to me, written it down, and then said, we're not going to talk about this anymore. Yeah, but that's... I was trying to picture it. I'll have to watch the documentary and see what he's doing with his hands and things to see. Yeah. But was he... Laura, was he basically saying... I, I must have... I think I misunderstood this in the clip. Was he saying that this thing had effectively destroyed... Like a warhead, it had taken out this missile. Was that was that what he was right. saying? Exactly. So basically, to give kind of a foreground to all of this, ET presence didn't really become known until the 1950s when we started nuclear testing. Um, and Dr. Gur goes into this into like on his documentary. But basically, when we started nuclear testing is when these ETs started showing up and being like, uh, what are you guys doing? Um, this is bad, you know, and there's been several witnesses that have come forward that worked at like nuclear testing facilities, where craft would show up and just shut down the entire facility saying this is wrong, basically saying this this needs to go away, like nuclear testing, all of it. Because, I mean, we had, in the 1950s, we had done so many nuclear testing. I think there was like 2,500 atom bombs tested around the world, and more than half of them were by the U.S. Mm. So when we started nuclear testing is when the extraterrestrials started making... Well, not really making themselves known, but, well, I guess making themselves known to the powers that be, um, basically insinuating that this is bad. So, yeah, that that video that he's talking about where they're videotaping, a, you know, a, a missile test launch um, and it coming in and basically destroying it is them saying that, you know, this is, you shouldn't be doing this, basically. Yeah, it's almost, um, it's also like there's more intelligent beings that have perhaps witnessed this kind of stuff before and they're trying to stop us from making mistakes. You know, like we all know now, well, we all know how devastating these warheads can be. Mm. And so it's almost like a protective, I don't know, Tiss, what, what are your thoughts? <laughs> You're right, Tiss. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just struggling, struggling. What are you struggling with? It's just Sunday. <laughs> oh, right, okay. I thought you meant struggling with the the idea. Yeah, no. I'm just struggling to keep track. Was he struggling with him? Uh, he's just, he said he's struggling to keep track because he's tired because it's Sunday. Oh. <laughs> Typical Tiss uh, will cop out answer. Yeah, sorry. It's a lot to take in. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. It's, I think that's part of it. Is, uh, there's so much more. This. I just, I mean, there's so much more, you guys. I just, this is just the, the very tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's a few other topics I kind of wanted to touch base on, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other topic, I mean, and, and those witness testimonies that I've been going over with Sergeant Clifford and, and, and this last guy, they're all available. I have all the links and everything, so you guys can look at them. And, yeah, that's great. 
and whatnot. The other topic I wanted to go over was, have you guys heard of Bob Lazar? I have, and I think we've mentioned him before on the show, but I can't remember exactly. So just refresh our memory. Okay, so in May 1989, uh, CBS affiliate broadcast a story from a satellite link in Las Vegas, Nevada. It was a broadcast of a young physicist under an anonymous identity that talked about nine alien discs held in Nevada by a small group within the American government. Uh, Lazar, Bob Lazar, was briefed on technical information of alien interactions. Uh, Since only the technical information was true and he was there to witness it and be a part of it, he naturally assumed the historic information provided to him that happened previous to him being there was also true. Basically, he was saying in exchange for hardware, fuel, materials, and training that what we consider the extraterrestrials greys were provided a portion of the base to conduct their own research. Basically, he came forward and shared with the world, or tried to share with the world, what he had been a part of. He was there to back engineer a power source used in the spacecraft and to deduct how it was used and worked in the spacecraft for the for the government base that was there. Hmm. At first he spoke anonymously and then he went on camera using his real name Bob Lazar and his main claims are that nine interstellar spacecraft were housed at the S4 facility very close to where Roswell was and have been used in a reverse engineering program for over 10 years prior to his introduction in the program in the 70s. The fuel source on the craft was an element with an atomic number 115, and it does not occur naturally on Earth. Uh, it was milled into wedges for insertion into the, into the alien craft reactor, uh, and this was done at Los Alamos Lab under the guise of a new armor alloy. Back engineering began in the 1970s with the remaining alien hardware and technology. And uh, lastly, Lazar was briefed on programs relating to these aliens and their involvement with the human race. It included an overview of aliens externally correcting our evolution over the last 10,000 years and at least 15 years of direct technology exchange between ETs and the scientists at S4. And I have a small clip I can play of him. He was interviewed by Art Bell. Right. And there's a small clip I can play of him describing the inside of the craft, if you guys want me to play that for you. Yeah, go ahead. I'd love to hear that. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you know all the questions that people would ask if I started picking up phone lines now. So what about being inside that craft? What do people generally ask and how do you respond? Well, first of all, the, the overall description inside um, entering the craft is, um, like I said, certainly uncomfortable for an adult human being. Um, it's. Um, you realize that you're not in a place that was designed for humans. Exactly. Um, and it certainly <laughs> uh, is different from anything that you're familiar with. Uh, and what I mean to say about that is um, everything is basically one color. Uh, normally, any area you're surrounded in is always uh, different textures, different colors, uh, so on and so forth. Um, the inside of the craft is essentially all a dull uh, pewter aluminum color, very 
metallic looking. Mm. There are no sharp right angles anywhere, and the description I've given before is it uh, basically the crab looks like it was just injection molded, essentially like the model was. Um, there are no seams anywhere. Um, everything inside the craft looks like um, it was fashioned out of wax, heated for a short time, and then cooled to where everything basically melted into what was next to it, what it was sitting on. Um, that, that's about the best description I can give as to how the inside looked. Seamless. Seamless and, and very unusual. Uh, again, no right angles anywhere. The um, structure of the craft, the skin uh, from the outside was smooth. Inside, uh, this is very difficult to describe, uh, but if you can picture yourself inside uh, a disc of a flying saucer shape, and you're inside looking at the uh, the wall surrounding you, mm -hmm. uh, there was an additional structure, kind of a secondary wall, uh, was kind of repetitive archways um, that looks like it was either for structural integrity or, as we later found out, uh, something to do with the waveguide and the gravity amplifiers themselves. But uh, if you have the box there you're looking at, you notice what I'm saying is kind of difficult. There's a little booklet that came in there that has a nice cutaway view of the craft, but it's, um, it's very difficult to describe without drawing a picture or seeing something visual. That's basically what the, there are three levels to the craft. When you enter, you enter into the main level, and that's basically what you see. As far as what's on the main level, um, well, first of all, the dimension of the craft is about 52 feet diameter, about 16 feet high. Uh, that's just the overall measurement. Now, back on the inside of the craft, what you'll see in the center of the craft uh, is the reactor itself. Extending from the reactor up to the top of the craft is the waveguide. Uh, it kind of looks like a little chimney, more or less. Uh, surrounding the reactor in the center of the craft are three seats. These seats all face one direction. Also near these three seats are the three gravity amplifiers themselves. They look like consoles, uh, just solid rectangular objects. There's, uh, when I say consoles, I don't mean there's any buttons, lights, or anything of that sort. And in fact, there were no buttons, lights, switches, or wiring in the entire craft. Really? Really. <laughs> That's also quite uh, an impressive feat. No levers, no buttons, no, no. lights, no, no switches. However, I did not get to go on one part of the craft, so I really can't say what was there. Um, but I do have a good idea as to what was. Now, this was all on the center level. Immediately underneath, there's a small breakaway part of the floor um, as you walk in to the craft over to the left. Uh, it's a, collapse a collapsible hexagonal, very unique doorway. Uh, if people have asked me, have you ever seen anything uh, in any of these crafts, any of the technology uh, that could be used today, something simple, uh, and that's certainly one of them. Uh, aside from the, uh, you know, high-tech gravitational propulsion system, so sure. on and so forth, something very, very simple to understand and easy. And anyone that's taken a um, 
six-pack of beer or bottles or anything like that, you'll notice that if you push on the sides of the, you take all the bottles out, you push on the sides of the, uh, the box, it all collapses flat. Yes. And um, the floor itself was hexagonal in shape and made of little square hexagons like that of thin metal with a little notch cut out. So basically to operate it, you just stuck your hand in the notch and pushed and the entire thing collapsed flat and left a hole open. However, when it's extended and it's, the uh, opening is closed off, it's, uh, it's a very strong structure because you're standing on the top of hexagons, the metal is relatively thick, even though it's, it's a, am I, you kind of have a, an idea of what I'm trying to present here? I absolutely visual. do. Of course, I understand how it derives the strength, yes. Uh, so yes, it's very easy to collapse one way, but uh, that's one simple thing I thought would find uses somewhere, somehow. Kind of rambled on there for a little bit, but what do you okay. take on that? Um, the thing I found interesting was when he said about it, Almost being one solid thing, almost like it's created as one in one go, like one yeah, like one piece. structure yeah, seamless like yeah. um like three D printing yeah, it was um it's interesting that we often think of um I don't know just like a UFO as being very very technologically advanced, so you, you expect it to be covered in buttons and wires and all everywhere. sort of stuff going on yeah um I found it really interesting. That not only is it, you know, te- technologically advanced, but it's also intuitive design. Like that's what I was thinking of, and I suppose, and I guess what I was thinking of was um, how cars are designed now, mm. and so the way cars are being designed is to follow that kind of example. Where let's try and make it as ergonomically pleasing as possible. Let's try and make it aesthetic so that it looks as good as possible rather than just being a bit with four seats and a wheel and all this stuff it's not just that think of how our technology is going that way as well you think of when people think of um, computers of the future you know if years ago they would have thought you know more and more buttons and stuff like that but actually now mm. we have like tablets and they yeah. don't have any buttons or anything exactly. on them and I was thinking of um, I was also thinking when he was talking of um, when I was in Japan so I was in Tokyo Nearly ten years ago, and I was, we were just sat in Starbucks. I think I told you this um, years ago. And uh, this guy had a tablet, which ten years ago that was really new to me. Yeah, yeah. Tablets hadn't been released, and so at first, and and this this tablet that he was using was projecting uh, via infrared a keyboard oh, onto keep, his yeah, coffee yeah. table, and so he was tapping away at his uh, his um, coffee table. Yeah. But it was obviously then he was emailing someone. And I, w- I wasn't just impressed by that. I remember being impressed at how quick it was and how responsive it was. And I was, I was like, wow. And and so, yeah, I I was just impressed by the design and the the hex- hexagons and the yeah, way yeah. like it's it's very interesting. Hmm. I mean, this interview is basically about two hours long. That's a very small snippet. I mean, and he has a website as well, BobLazar.com, where he goes into more specifically how the power source worked with the craft and there he has diagrams on there as well so you can kind of look at what he's maybe talking about um and it goes into his accounts of what he was privy to and what he had been a part of as well there's other interviews out there with bob with art bell art bell did like two or three interviews with bob lazar 
and those are out there for people to YouTube if they wanted as well. And I mean, Bob Lazar is definitely more controversial because it's just him. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, he seems and all the interview. I mean, I've listened to all the interviews he's had with Art Bell, and anytime Art Bell asks a question, he's on it. You know, I mean regardless of the question he doesn't really have to put much thought into it and he seems very like just matter of fact so right like he already knows the information so it's, it doesn't feel like he's making it up so much right i mean and like you know like i've said previously i mean we're not gonna know until we know you know but he's he's one of the first people to, to have come out and recount his play or part and in the UFO cover-up, I suppose. There are a few other honorable mentions that I wanted to kind of go over. I know you guys heard of the Phoenix Phoenix Lights. Yeah. The documentary is out there. I have a link to that as well. Mm -hmm. Basically, as I've stated previously, tens of thousands of witnesses. You know, as I was talking to my boyfriend last night, I'm like, I know that I'm passionate about the subject, and you aren't so much. So what to you would be more convincing and he brought up the phoenix lights he's like there was tens of thousands of witnesses not all those people were just seeing things he's like the numbers are there you know the people that saw it give a you know the same description over and over again um they're used to flares and helicopters and everything that would be associated with an air force base and this was obviously different from all of that and you know, he's like, that seems certainly more profound. That's always um, what grabs me as well, whenever there's more. Like, the readings you said at the beginning, how many people stepped up, and the Phoenix Lights, how many people saw it. It's, um, yeah, it gives a little bit more credibility to strength it. in numbers. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Right. And that's what Dr. Stephen Greer has been trying to do, strengthen numbers. Yeah, so yeah. He worked his whole life to gather all these witnesses, and all together at once, they had this a disclosure hearing at the National Press Club back in 2001, mm. which is, and you can find those videos online as well. Basically, all of those people came forward saying that they were going to go before Congress under oath, saying that what they were saying was true, and they had documents, they had their witness testimonies and everything like that, so it's all very interesting in that aspect. The other honorable mention was Billy Meyer. Have you guys heard of him at all? No, I'm not familiar with that name. Okay, so this is a bit more controversial. Okay, so Billy Meyer, from 1964 to present times, he's a citizen of Switzerland who, like I said, is a source of many controversial UFO photographs and um Basically, he has these photographs as evidence to support his claims that he's in contact with extraterrestrials. Um, these photographs have been looked at by professionals, and their findings were that they weren't altered in any way. So that's interesting. He also claims to have received some metal particulates from the extraterrestrials, and he had the metal researched on. Basically, he had a, a chemist look into the metal samples right. and that he claims that Billy Meyer claimed to have received from the extraterrestrials. They were examined with electron microscopes, and it was reported that the guy who he worked at IBM 
what he said, uh, quote, when I touched the oxide with a stainless steel probe, red streaks appeared and the oxide coating disappeared. I just touched the metal and it started to deoxidize and become a pure metal. He says, I've, you know, that they've never seen a phenomenon like that before. And that there was also another piece of metal. Basically, he examined another metal sample that clearly contained that can, or contained nearly every element in the periodic table, saying each uh, pure element was bonded to each of the others, yet somehow retained its own identity. Um, it looked metal, but at the same time, it's crystal type thing, and they'd never seen anything like it on Earth. So there was some backing to that. There's there's a whole plethora of information out there about Billy Meyer. To me, it's more controversial. It definitely there's, sounds. It definitely sounds quite controversial. Yeah. Um. I mean, I urge everyone to do their own research. Yeah. Yeah. But he. I mean, as far as UFO research, he's definitely. A big part of that so i just kind of wanted to mention it but i guess if i were to have a closing statement i would say uh yes i'm passionate about this topic not because i want it to be true but because i believe it is true um you know i want to know you know i personally believe that the ets are here to make sure that we don't destroy ourselves and are kind of overlooking in a humanitarian way like sergeant clifford stated earlier in his in his witness testimony. I mean, I want to know why it's being kept a secret and, you know, why they don't make themselves known. And I think the world's entitled to the answers that we have. Um, you know, basically, I have a healthy skepticism on the subject, but to me, there's an overwhelming amount of documents, witness testimony, and research that has come forth for there not to be something there. And I just encourage everyone listening to do their own research and form their own opinion from what, what they come across. And I have provided um, what I believe to be the best and most truthful evidence in regards to extraterrestrial existence. And also the fact that, you know, they're keeping technology away from the world to solve, it, you know, issues like hunger, poverty, and unrenewable energy sources. And I think that on a humanitarian level, that this needs to be, you know, disclosed so that we can move forward as as a, as a species. Mm, yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, Laura. I was just um, researching. I was looking about um, Billy Meyer, and just from looking at um, his website, he's certainly the guy that if you were a government official, you'd want to shut him down. Not because he looks uh, crazy, but because there's a lot of stuff there that's a bit um, a bit out there. Um, which you would probably want to shut down. But I was thinking, if you're looking at the governments, if you look at the countries that have um, space programs and stuff like the, the people that countries that send um, people to space regularly and you know quite advanced in those areas, you're looking at China, Russia, the United States, and I'd like to think that if if we had a more advanced program, we'd probably do the same thing in the UK of shutting stuff down so that you can make yourself more advanced um, and maybe more equipped in technology and weaponry so that if that if we were ever to enter into some kind of all-out world war again it's almost like we're trying to hold on to stuff so that we can gain more from it rather than like you say um, doing the stuff that's gonna benefit the whole human race you know eradicate hunger and disease that 
uh, we have been unable to do so far. Yeah, and it all comes down to money, is what I personally feel. You know, Dr. Stephen Greer's documentary series goes into this, but, like, the four major banks here in the U.S. or, you know, around the world, Bank of America, Citibank, Wells Fargo, and one other, I don't remember, or Chase, I think it was, but they all control the four largest oil conglomerates, yeah. and oil's, a, oil's like, a big money maker for a lot of for the top one percent yeah yeah they don't want to see their money go away for the you know i mean they like their money and that's and it's horrible that it comes down to that but that's essentially a big part of it because that one percent you know and this goes kind of into conspiracy but you know controls a lot of our economy as far as you know where, where the money goes i mean the top one percent you know I, it just it, there's a trail, there's a money trail, and it, it that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, it's in the it's in the financial interests to shut down anything. Yeah, that would stop, you know, oil being used and and everything like that. And the other thing is, the U.S. is like the one country that is like hush hush about UFOs. Other countries out there, like um, China and Japan, and mm. even the U.K. Are, are kind of less secretive about the UFOs. I, I know that the UK has released their UFO files. So has China and Japan and and a whole bu- and Russia even. The US has yet to do that, you know, and that's why there's a big push for disclosure in the US because there's so much documentation and so many witnesses like like as you've seen that have come forward and was like, okay, this is when is enough enough. Hmm. Mm. Okay. People say that to think about. you can't tell the people because the people can't handle it. But then whose decision is it that we can't handle it? Right. You know, if people just tell us and then you'll you'll know if we can handle it or not. And if we can't, you know, it's our planet too. And it's our minds. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So what are your guys' final thoughts? I guess that would be my final thought really. I kinda gave it to, I came kinda gave it prematurely, just um that you look at the countries behind most of and I, I know you just said that most other countries have disclosed their information and the US hasn't, but it all comes down to human greed, you know, wanting more, wanting to be um, more advanced in technology, wanting to be able to protect ourselves better in a war, to defend ourselves better, to attack stronger. And if we've got technology or information from ET uh, or, or other beings out there, then why not hold on to it? Because it all feeds into our economy, it all feeds into our infrastructure. And so that's that's my thought. It's like if, if there's a reason for keeping this stuff hush-hush, that's the reason. Mm. That's got to be it. So you got any uh, part points? That's pretty much the same as piece, to be honest. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I feel like yeah. I've already said my piece. Like, you know, it's up... If you if we can't handle it, at least... It, who who's just, Whose choice is it to say we can't handle it? And if you can't handle it, then that's up to the individual. Yeah, exactly. It, it, I don't like the idea of people being ruled over. Being controlled. Yeah, yeah. If, controlled. if we are a democracy, we deserve to know. Exactly. Let us be free in our chaos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Awesome. So did I do okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was great, Laura. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Have you got a cheesy pun to end the show on, Laura? Any cheesy puns? <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, well, we always fail at an attempt to end the show, don't we? No. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't have any cheesy puns. Um, oh. Fortunately, that's okay. I'm sure we can. Th- I'll, I'll um <laughs> I'll let you get off whenever you're ready, and then I'll I'll record like the outro stuff. Okay. Well, thank you again for this opportunity, you guys. I really enjoyed gathering the information, and I encourage you guys to watch that serious documentary in full. I do um, want to. I do want to get around to watching it. I will watch it at some point. All right. Well, thank you again, you guys. Thank you. You guys have a great rest of your night. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Laura. You're welcome. Take care. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. So, as Laura said, all those links and videos and everything will be on the blog, weirdtalesandtheunexplainable.blogspot.com. If you want to contact us about anything, please do. It's unexplainableuk at mail.com. Go and rate us on iTunes. That'd be great. And um, anything else? Oh, you can find us on Facebook. Do that. That's it. Uh, you guys got anything to... No. Any outro? No puns? <laughs> oh, okay. So, well, until next time, full disclosure, we'll be back next week. Saw a UFO and it made me cry Could I be so stupid to think that I Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.